greatly desire the greater gifts. We have been in a series on spiritual gifts. We found out that uh, the root word for gifts is what? Charis, which is the root word for charisma, which is kind of cool. God endows us with uh, unique gifts to build up the body of Christ. And so um, we have gone over the many, many gifts um, in the Bible, and we're talking about um, uh, taking even your spiritual gifts inventory, all right? Spiritual gifts inventory. So um, I'm going to continue with kind of sharing a little bit about my shape and Jade profile. Remember, the Apostle Paul says, I don't want you to be ignorant about these things. That is the gifts of the Holy Spirit, which is different than the fruit of the Holy Spirit, right? Which is in Galatians 5.22, which are to be developed by everyone, right? Remember, that is love and joy and peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, and self-control. I am eventually going to get to the greater gifts, and we'll probably get to it next week as well. Um, I think today I'm going to finish up just sharing a little bit of my shape profile. Uh, I think I ended last time on uh, my spiritual gifts, which is pastor shepherding, administration, evangelism, and the things I have a heart for, uh, my abilities and personality. But talking about your jade profile is your journey. A stands for your altars. D is discipleship and experience. Uh, it is said that you should be able to share your Christian testimony um, in three minutes or less. Okay, so certainly work on that. That's under your journey. That is your life before Christ, when you came to Christ, and then uh, your life after Christ. Mine, I'll share for those of you that uh, don't remember it, I'll probably do it in, I'll share my testimony in 30 seconds or less. How about that? <laughs> like name that tune. Um, I pro was probably in Lil Wong's uh, Sunday school class <laughs> or something like that. She uh, taught uh, children's ministry for years and years. And uh, uh, hearing Bible stories in this church doodling in the pews, uh, riding on the back of the <laughs> pews and, and uh, ground probably. Um, finally going to church camp, junior high camp, I heard the story of uh, God's love, grace, and forgiveness kind of articulated in that certain way and responded to an invitation to accept Christ in my life. Um, I remember um, distinctly, I like to say it is, was at that moment that I felt discovered by God. Not necessarily, it was accepting God as my Lord and Savior, but I truly felt discovered by God. Uh, before that, you know, you're just a little kid in this world, one, one little person in this, how many billion people are, are in the world, Right? It was that point, certainly in, in a church camp environment, you're able to sing songs around the campfire and look up at the heavens and see the gazillion stars out there. And that really resonated with me, that out of all the people in this world, God is speaking to me. And that's when I came to Christ in junior high school. And then my life after Christ has been a journey of trying to please God, 
trying to serve God. And part of it is trying on different hats in this church. Um, and that leads me up to the A in uh, the A in the Your Jade profile. Um, uh, I do want to share a little bit about altars. So your Jade profile, your journey, you should be able to share your um, spiritual journey in three minutes or less. Um, and it's not necessarily your life story, okay? Often when people share their testimony, they'll go on to talk for maybe, I don't know, 45 minutes <laughs> of uh, uh, all the things that they accomplished professionally and, you know, their work history, etc. But this really involves the work of the church and your spiritual, how you've applied your personality, um, your experiences in the ministry of the church. So altars, uh, the A in there, in ancient times, the church fathers would often build altars when God was faithful, when God restored somehow hope and healing into your lives. So that's how you can think of uh, writing down your altars. For me, um, God has definitely provided. I remember uh, as a early college student, um, kneeling before this altar, asking God to show me which direction to go into. I felt called to go into ministry, but then every time I'd make that commitment, to, to go to seminary, I would shake in my boots knowing that I wasn't ready for that. And uh, then I looked upon other professions and I thought of physical therapy to go into that. And every time I committed to study for physical therapy, I would feel re really guilty like I was uh, turning my back on God. And I, I flip-flopped uh, over and over as a youth, an early college student, and uh, I told God that, okay, I'm going to go to uh, physical therapy school first. Um, at that time, I had a, you know, a, a, a family. I was married. And so I thought becoming a physical therapist, health profession was safer, right? <laughs> Definitely safer. Um, so after that, my gifts and personality I dreamed, I daydreamed almost every day working as a physical therapist of owning a private practice, <laughs> right? Just that dream of being entrepreneurial, um, having a vision, a holistic vision, how to run an organization. Um, it's just like watching those cooking shows, all right? You see uh, Gordon Ramsay of uh, Hell's Kitchen and uh, Kitchen Nightmares of dysfunctional restaurants and functional restaurants. And often in Kitchen Nightmares, he would do a restaurant makeover, right? He would just uh, relaunch the whole thing. And he's almost like a family counselor at times of identifying dysfunction and making it more functional. So I kind of think of that imagery with every organization that I work for, I always, you know, critique the inefficiencies and what could be done better. And uh, I forgot 
three to five years into my career, um, I wrote you know, a business plan and uh, was ready to launch a private practice. And actually, I signed a lease. I signed on the dotted line a lease to uh, start a private practice. And I don't know if you've ever heard God speak to you. You know, I've, I've never heard God's like, you know, Moses, you know, I'm talking to you now. I've never heard God's audible voice, but as soon as I signed that lease, I couldn't sleep for like two days. I couldn't sleep for two days. I did not have peace about it. And I took that as God speaking to me. And uh, I t called up my realtor lady and uh, told her I didn't want to do it anymore. <laughs> she goes, but you signed a contract. <laughs> so she graciously let me out of that. Um, and then I decided to, at that point, so I'm thinking, you know, I had a family. I, I don't think Eric was born yet, but uh, I had a mortgage. And for some reason, seminary was always somewhere else, you know, down south in the Bay And here, here I was in Sacramento. Then I came across a friend who uh, told me that Fuller Seminary was teaching classes via, by extension, in Sacramento. And I was like, okay, I have no excuse not to attend seminary because I could go on the weekends, still work full time, and go on the weekends and take a start my seminary uh, training. And so these quick courses of events happen, and I even decided to leave my very secure job at Kaiser. Um, so some of this story is maybe familiar to some of you guys. I haven't shared this in a long time. Um, Kaiser, there was a, you know, once you were in the system, you know, uh, you got good benefits and guaranteed pay raises and whatnot. And I was all set for a, uh, uh, it's almost like a state job, you know. You're just kind of secure in that job. But I decided to leave uh, Kaiser and worked for this one company out of Indiana who was expanding on the West Coast, and they were opening up a satellite clinic or took over a clinic in Woodland, of all places, in Woodland. And I told them, you know, my desires, and they, they had this little dock-in-a-box uh, clinic next to Bel Air off of... I don't know, Truxel or something like that. And uh, they had a desire of staffing a part-time therapist there. And I, was, I wasn't looking for full-time work because I w wanted to go to seminary. I, need, I needed flexibility. So I proposed a three 10-hour day, a three 10-hour day, Monday, Wednesday, Friday. And that would give me four days to take seminary classes and prepare for that. So anybody, um, I don't know if you know anybody that's in ministry, that's in the mission field or pastoring and whatnot, there's always, always sacrifices to prepare for the ministry. And uh, I always call this, this is my, one of my altars, that I built an altar to God that I will uh, praise God for. Um, I was able to 
negotiate a three 10 hour day, which was almost equivalent to my 40 hour a week salary at Kaiser. And so it was amazing that uh, I didn't have to sacrifice hardly anything at all. And what God really gave me was time, right? To work full time and then study for seminary was almost uh, super difficult. But God gave me four days out of the week, four days out of the week to prepare for the ministry. So that's what I embarked on. Two classes on the weekends, working Monday, Wednesday, Friday, three, three ten-hour days. Um, I did that for a couple semesters, and then God gave us Eric, <laughs> our, our little boy. And so, you know, when he was young and, uh, you know, didn't require, it was just busy work, you know, feeding, changing, go for a nap. Um, I was still able to take two classes, but then it started getting, uh, he required more and more of my time. So even during the week, we had the great resource, I praise God for that, of both our in-laws living in town, and so we had that extended family where I only had to watch Eric one day a week, you know, the whole day, of course, evenings, but the Satos watched them during the day, one day a week, and then my mom and dad watched them one day a week. And so um, it was great for them as grandparents. You know, they wanted to see the grandchildren, but it wasn't like a five-day-a-week commitment, right? So God provided that resource. And so I did that for a number of years, and um, Eric started requiring more and more attention as he grew, and I started feeling guilty that, you know, I wanted to stick my nose in a book versus being present uh, raising Eric. And uh, God really convicted me that um, Eric was more important than my studies. Uh, even though uh, many of you, uh, some of the old timers that we saw at Lil's uh, memorial service yesterday, you know, would pat me on the back and encourage me that I'm going towards seminary. Uh, but yet, I had a real objective uh, uh, calling uh, to be a present father. And so when Eric was, plus I heard that, that, uh, that term that, that they used to say that the most important developmental years in a child's life is what? Like their one to five years uh, time of bonding with you, et cetera. And so I wanted to be present for him. And so I figured if I took a break from seminary, and if I resumed in a couple years, maybe when he got to kindergarten, seminary would probably still be there, right? Same classes, same institution, but it'll probably be a little more expensive, <laughs> right? Three years later. And that's exactly what happened. So I continued to work three 10-hour days. I stopped seminary, and I was definitely involved in child care and all that. And uh, praise God, when Eric uh, started kindergarten, or, or first grade, he was in school most of the day, I tiptoed back into seminary taking one class at a time. And uh, gradually uh, took two classes at a time, and I thought that was going to be my path. And then five years later, God blessed us with another child. So now we had two kids. And uh, what I managed to do was... 
Uh, God allowed me to work three 10-hour days for the next eight years. Praise God for that. And I took one class at a time over the next eight years. And then uh, soon after that, there was a financial crisis about that time. I, I don't remember exactly when that was. Um, I think it, there was like a housing crisis. There's a financial crisis. And right about that time, I looked for a job at, we started attending the First Baptist Church in Elk Grove. And uh, many people go to seminary class, usually it's a three-year degree. They just kind of stop, uproot, and ask people for help, <laughs> is what they do, and they get through their seminary training. I finally got my degree after 10 years. <laughs> A decade of studying, and uh, God provided the resources for that. But what's amazing, I just praise God for it. You know, I, I want to praise, give God the praise and glory. Um, I didn't have to quit my job. God gave me time to do it. I was able to pay for all my tuition up front, and I was not in debt one dollar from seminary, which is kind of an unheard of, really. Um, and then soon after, I think it was the housing crisis of 2002, maybe, um, I applied for and, and uh, was accepted to become the caregiving pastor of the First Baptist Church of Elk Grove, where, yeah, there was a big housing boom, if you recall. I think it was in 2002, around there. And then a few years later, it crashed. But... Creekside Church had grown from a congregation of 500 to 1,700. Uh, they had the foresight of buying a hunk of land right off of Highway 99, and uh, uh, there was lots of housing in Sacramento area, and people, that's often how people uh, come to new churches when it's uh, a new area, uh, new families, and people want to establish roots. And that church grew in leaps and bounds during that time, and at least certainly rode that wave. So God provided a dream job for me to exercise my gifts. I was hired as the caregiving pastor. Never heard that term before <laughs> in church ministry. But I inherited a counseling, a Christian counseling center, um, I was able to run support groups. Um, I think this is where my evangelism uh, function comes in because people would come to church not through the front door, through support groups, but through the back door. <laughs> they would come through grief recovery. They would come through divorce recovery. Um, they would come through our 12-step programs. Um, not through the, either the side door or the back door, they would come to church because it met a need. It met a need people. So God used my uh, administration uh, gifts to uh, grow a ministry that I inherited with some, maybe, I think I had seven groups to oversee when I first started there. And then it grew to about 20 in six years that I was overseeing, 20 different groups. So God was able to use those gifts and then, so not only 
can you share your altars of what great things God did in your, did in your life? But you remember Joseph, right? Joseph, the, the youngest son of, of, uh, of, is it 12? 12 tribes of, of Israel. Um, Joseph was sold off into slavery, jealousy with his uh, brothers, siblings, right? And what did he say at the end of it all, after his dark times of wilderness experience? He said, what you intended for evil, God worked out for good. God intended for good. So this is how you could build your altars as well. So six years into the ministry at First Baptist Church, um, things got political <laughs> in that church. And... Uh, um, I found myself on the receiving end of uh, some of the politics in that church, and they made a clean, uh, clean sweep of the adult ministry staff. <laughs> and uh, they brought, uh, awkwardly, they brought in a, a, a business manager, okay, who was not a minister, but a business manager as part of the executive team. You had your preaching pastor, executive minister, and his business manager was part of um, uh, the, uh, the power structure there, so to speak. And so uh, the head minister that hired me had left, right? And then so there was this kind of power vacuum at that time. And the culture really, really changed. And after that position, even though I had been successful in uh, turning their seven small groups and support groups into 20 or so, um, they didn't think uh, those were of much value. <laughs> and uh, uh, that, all that went by the wayside. And so I found myself out of a job, and uh, I started working for a home health and acute care, uh, home health and skilled nursing facilities for a short while. And then the financial crisis of 2007 and 8 occurred. Remember that? That's when we were screaming that gas prices had hit $4 a gallon. $4 a gallon doesn't sound too bad now, does it? <laughs> My goodness. But that's when that crisis happened, and the company that I work, was working for, Escaton at that time, went through a big dip in their financial revenues. And Michelle Jan Otani, um, who used to attend this church, was working for a company that was contracting with UC Davis. And she said, oh, they're hiring. Check them out. And so uh, they were hiring a... Was it a 32-hour 32, 32 position for home health? Salaried position, uh, full benefits, even though it was uh, 30, 32 hours a week, and a retirement program. So as things were changing during that financial crisis, you know, I didn't have to think too long or pray too hard of what the right decision was. So I jumped on board with UC Davis's home health uh, uh, company, Ten months later, they laid off 60% of their staff. 60% <laughs> of their staff because of the financial crisis. 
it was pretty incredible. But as God would have it, me being part of a larger company instead of a small company, uh, UC Davis was able to absorb me into their hospital therapy staff. So I got laid off on Friday, and I had a job on Monday. So praise God for that, right? Um, however, it was in acute care. And when I graduated college in 1989, I vowed never to work acute care again. <laughs> right? Uh, all the tubes that you have to work with out of every orifice, uh, dragging people out of bed. At that time, we did wound care and acute care. And it was like, that's not why I became a therapist. <laughs> and here it was. I certainly had a family, a mortgage, and whatnot. So in faith, I accepted that position in acute care. And I was pretty miserable in that job. I was pretty miserable. Um, I wouldn't say miserable. I was probably just whining is, is what it was. <laughs> uh, UC Davis is growing, and employee parking was... You know, here's the main campus, employee parking's like over here. Then they expand and they build a building over here. Now employee parking is over there. I mean, they did that over and over again. And you had to pay for parking to park at the place you work. Um, their cafeteria, they don't give you any employee discounts. So, you know, it was easy to complain about working at UC Davis. Um, Gosh, it took me 15 minutes to get to work after I parked my car just to get in the building. Um, but anyway, after hurting my back twice uh, in acute care, um, I tried and tried and tried to get a reassignment to something else, to outpatient therapy, which is my, my forte. And nobody moved during the crisis. Nobody moved. And th those, were, those were dog days, you know. Um, I shouldn't have complained. I could have been more thankful, definitely, like the Lord's Prayer, right? Give us this day your daily bread. I could have been that. Was I super spiritual at that time? Not really. <laughs> Not really. I probably whined and complained a lot more. But over the next five to six years, I think, I stuck it out. Um, a position opened in the hemophilia clinic. Those, that's with uh, people that have a generic, generic uh, missing chromosome to clotting factor. Um, they had, uh, uh, had a part-time position open. I applied for it and, and got to uh, be employed by the hemophilia clinic at UC Davis. What is amazing is that since the drugs are so expensive to give to people with hemophilia, they had their own little nonprofit pharmacy. And so as you know, in America, big pharma is called big for a reason, right? Because we take daily pills and there's multi-millions and billions of dollars made through medications. Well, because of this, because UC Davis had a specialty pharmacy, they grew a lot of money and started 
to use it and paid for social worker, a physical therapist. And so my time was paid for already. So I didn't have to bill anybody. Right? Kathy knows what I mean. You do your treatment and there's a billing sheet that you have to fill out. For every treatment, you have to bill. That's the way the world works. Unless you work for Kaiser, they pay, pay up front, it's HMO, and then uh, you manage people that way. But my time was already paid for, so amazingly, I didn't have to do any billing. I didn't have to do progress notes, per se. I didn't have to send that to the doctor. I could just treat people if they needed treatment. So it has been an amazing um, uh, appointment. My job offered opportunities for research, uh, advanced training. In 2019, I became board certified in musculoskeletal ultrasonography um, to look inside muscles, bones, and joints. And uh, personally, it's been one of the most exciting things I've been able to learn professionally in the 34 years I've been a therapist. Um, during COVID, I studied for the board exams for and got my doctorate in physical therapy. So I just praise God for the journey that he's brought me through. Even though I felt bad about having to leave or getting laid off from the First Baptist Church, you know, whenever it's not your choice, right, it feels like a, it just feels like a punch in the stomach is the way I describe it. If any of you have ever been laid off, furloughed, or, or whatnot, it's, a, it's not a good feeling. But I praise God for those uh, opportunities. And lastly, I'd like to say, during my time at, as a therapist, being a, um, at the hemophilia clinic, I have definitely had some challenges. There's, there were some interpersonal battles. I've experienced what I consider bullying and prejudice in this particular division. So I've had to really learn um, how to defend myself in a, in a godly way um, and uh, not having to retaliate or, or being too passive or, or aggressive. And I, and I have to praise God that God has brought uh, some of these things to a better accountability, better um, change recently when, it, when that uh, is concerned. So that leads me up to covid uh, God encouraging me to experiment more with ministry. Um, I started a little house church um, after COVID hit in 2019. And I, we were able to come together and be the church, really, for a little while during that time. That was a time when people weren't meeting as churches, right? We were able to meet um, as a church uh, on a weekly basis. Sometimes it was through Zoom, <laughs> a Zoom meeting, which is kind of weird, but there was certainly connection. And then that brings me to offering to help uh, local churches. And then I started preaching more at Chinese Community Church and then, then here. And that brings me to, this is almost my one year anniversary of a pulpit ministry. And I, many of you know that I had some trepidation about 
preaching more than once a month <laughs> or, or uh, something to that effect. Anyone could come up with a message to talk about, you know, every couple months. But preaching and teaching on a weekly basis um, definitely has been a challenge. But another altar I want to praise, uh, build toward God is to praise God. It, it's come relatively easy as I look back, you know. It doesn't feel like I've been through a marathon or uh, an Ironman competition or exhaustion. It's like, okay, a year, I'm going to take a break. Um, it's come relatively easy, and I praise God for that. And so God is somehow working behind the scenes. I, I certainly believe that. God is working behind the scenes for this church as far as the next steps. Um, I kind of believe that God is encouraging this church possibly to partner with another church. I'm not exactly sure what that means or, or what it's going to look like. But I think it's, you know, many churches, a lot of churches, in fact, I would say most churches, through the COVID days, have really, really struggled. Really, really struggled with attendance. And... Um, I believe we need to be more efficient. I think that's where my administration gift is. It's like, you know, why can't we be more efficient? This is exactly what the Apostle Paul did, right? There was, he was the main pastor teacher, right? The Apostle Paul. I don't have, aha. Where he wrote, you know, his letters to the church at what? Ephesus. He taught to the church in the, at Corinth. He taught to the church in Thessalonica, right? And that's kind of what we have now, is we have little ethnic churches here, little ethnic churches there, but they don't have the resources to be, have a full-blown, balanced ministry. Um, so I think we need to pull our resources. And I think, uh, I think that's what God is leading uh, me to be involved with, and, uh, and maybe possibly in the life of this church as well. So certainly be praying for that. So that's the main content of what I wanted to share today, is uh, I want you to work on your SHAPE profile. And if you're new to that, SHAPE stands for your spiritual gifts survey. And if you wanted to, haven't done that in a while or have yet to take it, look on lifeway.com lifeway.com so so let's close in prayer god we thank you for our time of celebration of life yesterday with our dear sister uh, lil chan wong god i thank you for just uh your spirit moving with uh, all the details uh that occurred uh, through Valerie and Kirby. I thank you for uh, uh, how everything just came together as far as those who uh, were chosen to share and give testimony at the service. Uh, we just thank you for her life. We pray that it was uh, honoring and pleasing to you, that our goals were accomplished. That is to celebrate the life of Lily 
but also to give praise and honor to you, God, for the life that you gave us. So uh, all those here, I'm sure uh, some related to Lil's family. Um, we pray for their extended family, that uh, Lily's witness uh, will continue to inspire um, their extended family, that through even the service and her life testimony, that it points um, those that don't know you to the hope and life that we have in you, God. So these things we ask and thank you for. And all God's people said, amen.